also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Judas went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of, the, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you. I appreciate my friend Rob Gill and your staff here. But I also have a deep appreciation for this church. Uh, it seems like a hundred years ago that I came here out of seminary serving as an associate at Main Street. But I, we had good relations with this church and I have always appreciated the light and the witness that this church has borne here in this community. And so it's just a neat thing for me to be back here in this community where I began my pastoral ministry so long ago. Michelle and I, as newlyweds, lived in the Mark III apartments over here. I saw our balcony this morning. And then I saw about 100 yards down the road the place where I had a car accident one day. So that wasn't as warm a memory, but uh, good to be back in Hattiesburg. Almost, that's right. (laughs) And the goalpost, indeed. Thanks be to God for good blessings, and especially the goalpost. You heard our scripture this morning. I appreciate Mary reading that. I drove over here to tell you that I know that Jesus. I think you do too. And I am deeply convinced that he has not, by any manner or means, gone into retirement. Jesus has not retired and turned it over to Blessed Mother Church to continue his good work. No, no. He is very, very alive and active in this, his world. And he is steadily inviting us to fish out of his boat. He's steadily inviting us to be a part of what he is doing. When I was in my third grade year, I remember my mother bought me a lunchbox. Now, I had been wanting one since the first grade, but I had the ill fortune to be attending a school that had a lunchroom, and so I couldn't take a lunchbox. But finally, in the third grade, I moved to another school, and they didn't have a lunchroom. I was thrilled. Mama got me a blue Dr. Seuss cat in a hat cat-in-the-hat lunchbox. And friends and neighbors, you need to understand, I was unspeakably cool with my Dr. Seuss lunchbox. I carried it with me every day 
for three years. Here's a little boy in our text whose mother packed him a lunch, and he carried it in his version of a lunchbox. It was pretty, pretty meager fare. Scripture says that he had some barley bread and a couple of fish. Now, these folks are obviously poor people because barley was the poorest grade, the lowest grade of bread, and it was only eaten by those who couldn't afford to buy something better. And these fish, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, it indicates that these fish were small, uh, sardine-sized fish that schooled or we might think swarmed in the, in the Sea of Galilee. And they were pickled in order to preserve them. And so here's this little boy gone to hear Jesus carrying his lunch, such as it is, in his lunchbox. I want us to think about this miracle this morning, not through the eyes of Jesus not through the eyes of the 12 disciples or the multitude that saw it, but rather through the eyes of this little eight or nine-year-old boy. He is one child among thousands. John's gospel tells us there were 5,000 men. Now, in the culture of the ancient Near Eastern world, if a count was to be taken, they were a very patriarchal, very male-oriented society, so they only counted adult males. So when John tells us there are 5,000 males there, we can know that that there is also women and children added to that number. So we've got a boatload of people that are there listening to Jesus. And here's this little boy, just one among thousands of people. His culture has already said to him, you don't count. He's ignored He's almost invisible. He's apparently there all by himself, just a kid with a Dr. Seuss lunchbox. During a break in the teaching that day, he watches as Jesus gathers his men around him, and the team members are all sitting there shaking their heads, and they're holding out their hands like this, empty hands. And then the little boy sees Jesus turn around and point out to the crowd like that, and the disciples move out into the crowd. And one of the disciples comes up to this boy, noticing that he has this Dr. Seuss lunchbox. And the man says to him, Son, would you, would you come up here? Mr. Jesus wants to talk to you. Would, would you come with me just for a minute? And I can see this happening. Andrew, the disciple, goes up to Jesus, puts his arm around his shoulder, and he whispers something in his ear. And Jesus gets this big old honking grin on his face, turns around, and he looks at that kid. He goes over there to him. Jesus kneels down on one knee so he can look the little boy in the eye, and he says, cool lunchbox. Then he says, son, I'm glad you came today. But it's dinner time, and here are all these people, and we don't have anything to feed them. I see you brought your lunch. You're a smart man. Now, son, I know your mama prepared that lunch just for you to eat. But I want to ask you something. 
son, would you trust me with your lunch? If you will trust me with it, I promise you that you and everybody here will have more than enough to eat. That's a promise. Now, I can just see this. Little boy, he chews on his lip when he's thinking about something. And he's digging a hole in the dirt with his toe. And he looks down at that Dr. Seuss lunchbox and he looks up at Jesus. He looks back at that lunchbox and he hands it to him. Now, I have a question for you. Why? Why is it that Jesus asked this little boy for his lunch? Think about, think about what happened here. That little boy is suddenly moved up to the front. So he has a front row seat on all of this. And he watches Jesus open up his lunchbox and take out those barley loaves and those pickled sardines. And he watches Jesus lift that food up in the air and thank his father for it. And then... Again, the kid is watching all of this. He sees everything. He's not missing a thing. He sees Jesus tearing off pieces of bread and fish and giving them to people. And to his amazement, this goes on unbroken for 15 or 20 minutes. Just continually handing out bread and fish from his lunchbox. And yet the bread never runs out. And there's always more fish. And every person there gets something to eat. And I do not mean hors d'oeuvres and nibbles. The text tells us they ate until they were filled. And when everybody had been fed, Jesus then says to his disciples, Now, boys, I don't want any of this to go to waste, so I really wish y'all would go out there and gather up all that unused food that was not eaten today. And John again tells us that the disciples go out among the crowd gathering up this food and they bring back, count them, 12, 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now you do realize, don't you, that is way, way more than what they started out with. And this little guy saw all of that. When he goes home that night, it is pitch black dark, but that little boy, he isn't afraid of anything. <laughs> he's going home. He's walking about three feet off the ground because he's saying, I got in on that. Jesus did a miracle, and I got to be a part of it. And he used my lunch. He got home, and he told his mom and daddy and his brothers and sisters, and they're all amazed, and they're all wishing they had been there. And I'll tell you a little something. They're all thinking, I wish I had been there with me a lunchbox that I could have given him my lunch. And I'll tell you something else. This is just a little sanctified imagination, but it's all right. I think, I think that probably everybody in that crowd that was close enough that day to see what was happening, I bet they were saying, I wish I had brought a lunch that he could have used. I wish I could have gotten in on that. Or maybe, maybe there were even some of them that were saying, 
I wish I had let him use the lunch that I brought that I hid behind me. Again, why does Jesus ask for this little boy's lunch? You notice, by the way, he doesn't take it. Jesus is not an extortionist. He asks this boy's permission to use his lunch. Why? You know, if you go around doing the kind of miracles that Jesus does, I mean, he speaks and flings the worlds into existence. He heals the sick. He calms the storms. He raises the dead. You do those kind of miracles, you don't need a starter kit. So why is Jesus asking for this little boy's lunch? I am convinced. I am convinced that it was because Jesus wanted that boy to have the privilege of participating in what he was about to do. He invites that kid to ride in the front seat with him. He invites that eight-year-old boy right up into the glory of a miracle in which thousands of people are supernaturally fed. And that little boy got to be a part of it. That, I think, is why Jesus asked him for his lunch. And I'll tell you something else. As it turns out, this is, a, this is a recurring theme in John's gospel. I've counted some 35 different times in John where people are drawn into participating with God. And another 17 of those times are people being drawn into participation in one of Jesus' miracles, just like this story that we read here this morning. Isn't that beautiful? This is relational sharing in the life and ongoing work of Jesus. And that, men and women, that is stewardship. You see, stewardship, contrary to what I was taught and perhaps you were taught, stewardship is not what you do for God. No. It's not what you do for God. Stewardship is the invitation of the Father, Son, and Spirit for you to come in and be partners with them, for you to collaborate with them, for you to be a part of what they are doing. They have thrown open their shared life and fellowship, their relationship, their community, and their activity has been opened up to you. It is the heart of the Father, Son, and Spirit. They delight in this. This is their passion to draw us in. And you've been invited into that. You have been invited in to be a real player in that. And so, you know, it's not that the Lord needs you. He's actually doing pretty well. He doesn't need you or your money. He doesn't need, for that matter, this church or mine. But I'll tell you something. He passionately wants you and me to be a part of what he's doing. He longs. He is absolutely committed to the practice of drawing us in to whatever he has going on and making us a part. And he is so committed to this. Hear me on this. 
The Father, Son, and Spirit are so committed to our being a part because they are such sharers. They're so committed to our being a part of what they're doing that there are things that they will let go undone if you and I don't participate. If you and I don't do our part, there are good things in the earth that the Lord wants to do right here in this community, right here in this church that God wants to do, but he will allow those things to go undone unless we respond to his invitation to be a part of what he's doing. That's stewardship. It's God's gracious invitation, and it's our willing response to say, yeah, I don't know how you're going to use me or what you could do with what that little bit I have. Here it is. Here's my lunch. And that's when the miracle happens. That's when God begins to work with us. But it begins with the choice of trusting Jesus with my lunch. When we do that, God takes our talents and our resources. He makes us a partner with Jesus Christ. And God's power and multiplication kicks in. And we get to watch him do something that we never imagined. It's better than anything we could have dreamed. And so it seems to me, sisters and brothers, that the word of God to us is, how about it? Will you trust me with your lunch? You know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't ask that boy for a tithe of his lunch. Jesus never said, son, hey, would you give me just 10% of your lunch? No, he said, son, will you trust me with everything you've got? And if you will... If you will, I promise you, you'll always have enough. And that kid handed him his lunch, and that is when the miracle happened. And I want to tell you something. I want to be in on that. I want to be in on that. I want to be able to say I was a part of what the Lord did, and he used my lunch. Christ is calling you to be in on that too. To trust him with what you have. To trust Jesus with your lunchbox. So, what do you say?